This is The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Aris Yarmouth. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Aris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, October 1st, 2022. Coming up this hour, the 2022 Adopt-A-Book campaign has arrived at your local library. We speak with Ian White of Western County's Regional Libraries on this year's campaign. Jacob Hostaway talks to Shane Strong with Yarmouth Regional Emergency Management Organization about the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona and how to prepare for severe weather. And yesterday was National Truth and Reconciliation Day. We play features from our program, A Day to Listen. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. A very well-known fundraiser uh, begins today. It's the Adopt-A-Book Campaign 2022. Here we are for the Western Counties Regional Libraries. Public Relations Manager with the Libraries, Ian White, is joining us in studio this morning to give us the lowdown. What's happening with this Adopt-A-Book Campaign? It's so great. Uh, Every couple of years it's held and it really replenishes the stocks of the library, raises all kinds of money. We love to hear that. So Ian, thank you for being here and sharing more about what this uh, program is all about. Well, thank you. And I've I've got to thank Y95 for being such a an important uh, supporter of this since its inception, pardon me, in 1996. Uh, So basically what happens is starting today, Saturday, people can walk into their library and uh, adopt books. So adopting a book means um, going in and and viewing the selection that's out there. Uh, It's been curated by our librarians and uh, they can essentially purchase the book for the library. They get a nameplate in the front that uh, can either be for their children, for somebody they love, uh, a memorable person in their lives, um, whatever the case may be, that nameplate goes in the front. And uh, they can be the first to borrow it or it goes right on the shelves. But the key part is um, we have to do this. It's mandated that all public libraries fundraise 3% of their annual budget. And this is a really important way for us to do that. Right, and uh, I know every year we have the big board where it's shown how much is being raised. So I know it starts today. How long does this campaign run? Well, it's two months. So it goes to the uh, November 30th. And so uh, people can give throughout. It, it Way back in the day, it used to be three months. But since COVID, we've uh, shortened it to three months. And I mean, pardon me, two months. And uh, also include more virtual giving as well. Right. Virtual is probably a big part of things now, but uh, take me back to like, you know, 96 when this first started. Like how how much has this grown since then? Uh, Well, I I guess it's grown quite a bit. Uh, It's the value alone in in terms of adoptions. Of course, books cost more now, too. So you have to take that into account. But it was usually we always surpassed the uh, uh, $1,000. Pardon me. The, the thousand bookmark in mm-hmm. terms of adoptions. Uh, we're gunning for 750 this campaign because it's only two months versus three. Um, but it's grown from, say, uh, 1,100 books. Uh, it peaked at about 1,600 in 2010. But we've always, always uh, broken the goal. Uh, people have been very generous, very supportive of the library. And that's uh, that's great to hear. And and it's not just Yarmouth, obviously. It's uh, communities all across the tri counties, uh, Western Counties Regional Libraries reach to. So, uh, is it a, is it the same for every single library? Same kind of setup. You go in, you can look at some books and uh, and look to I guess adopt them and have your name in one of those books. 
Most definitely. So we have 10 branches in three counties. So we stretch from Westport, Digby, Weymouth, Mategan, Yarmouth, Pubnico, Barrington, Clarks Harbor, Shelburne, and Lockport. So we hit the tri-counties in a big way, and uh, we're sort of like your franchise in your community for literacy and uh, free entertainment. All you need is your library card. Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library <laughs> card. I'm sure you've heard that one before. Um, yeah, so Adopt-A-Book campaign. And, and over the years, you mentioned, you know, with, with CJLS, with Y95, we've really uh, promoted this because we feel it's important, too, to have these books available for not just, you know, you know, adults, but youth in our community especially. It's so, so important uh, to have these kind of books available for them. Most definitely. Uh, literacy skills are, are fundamental in, in terms of uh, a healthy community, um, whether it's reading a prescription properly or the dosage of medicine for a child or uh, for yourself, or whether it's uh, being able to um, find great employment, uh, go through everything that way. Also, just for entertainment uh, and to broaden your horizons. I mean, literacy is a key component of a healthy community. It sure is. So, uh, yes, adopt a book campaign back on now. Did you do one during COVID? When was the last time that we had an adopt a book campaign? Well, we've stuck true to the every two years. So we had one in 2020, um, which went over fairly well. That was the first time we ran it. That one was only for eight weeks versus two full months. And uh, we managed to adopt 924 books and bring in over $25,000. So that was uh, fantastic. And what were the challenges for you guys during that? I mean, obviously, with the pandemic at that time, nobody was able to go anywhere. It, yes. So what I had to do, instead of having physical uh, books on display, um, I actually printed uh, all the covers, and we put them out on bulletin boards so people could actually go and just point to the book. It doesn't have the same impact as somebody going in and physically picking up that book and reading the cover and flipping through some of the pages before they're saying, yeah, this is the one I want to Mm. adopt. This is the one that I want to share with uh, many people. Because when you adopt a book, that book can be read by, on average, I think it's about 40 people. So you're buying a book for 40 others just by adopting one book. Right, right. And like you said, so important. And I'm glad that it happened during the pandemic and you've stuck true every every two years. And, and you talked about the budget aspect of it too. Uh, so 3% of your annual, bu- your budget has to be fundraised. And, um, you know, like you said, you've never really had difficulty with Adopt-A-Book, but, uh, you know, how important is that for uh, Adopt-A-Book and to reach that goal? It, it's very important because we we do try to raise funds in different ways, but this is a really big one. And it comes at an important time, too, um, because our budget has been frozen for the next three years. So, as you know, inflation, um, you have to try to keep up with that. You have to offer your staff some salary increases to be able to, you know, buy the loaf of bread and put gas in the tank, all those other things. Insurance goes up, cost of books goes up, so this comes at a really critical time for us to uh, enhance our collection and be able to offer the latest uh, reading materials for people. Coming in to see these books, like you said, the impact. You know, folks can read through the page and say, this is the one I want to adopt. So that's that's an important aspect of it, too. So I'm glad to see that things are back in person uh, this year. So. Uh, library hours, uh, regular hours during the week, and come in and uh, and take a look and uh, and see which one you might want to adopt. So once you see that book and you know that's the one, 
that you want to do, what are your next steps? Well, you take it to the, the clerk at the circulation desk and you say, um, I'd like to adopt this book. And they will take your payment uh, and uh, set it all up for you. Or you can adopt online. and uh, Or you can just give money and uh, let the librarians make the selections. Um, you can, of course, select the branch where you want those books to be. So let's say your home branch is Barrington. You can say... Um, I'd like those these books to be in Barrington, so that's where they uh, that's where they're put on the shelves. Um, and online is very easy. You just go to WesternCounties.ca. You look for the Adopt a Book uh, links. They're um, along the top of the web page, or also in the drop-down menu on your mobile. Um, and there'll be a, a big news story right on the front. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, uh, it's very self-explanatory. Once you go to that page, there's also a form right there for online donation uh, through Canada Helps. So it's uh, it's all there. And uh, if you have any difficulty, just ask one of the clerks or uh, or send us an email. Exactly. Um, yeah, nice to see the online component is, is there too. Um, so it gives people a lot of options in case they can't get out to, to the library. Uh, but a lot of different variety, I assume, too, with these, with these books. A lot of different types of books that people can choose from. Oh, most definitely. Uh, we have everything from uh, a very inexpensive paperback, uh, could be around the $5 mark, to those big, heavy, beautiful <laughs> coffee table books, which could run, you know, as much as a hundred dollars. Okay. So, um, a lot of a lot of variety to choose from: uh, fiction, nonfiction, westerns, romances, thrillers. You know, if you like your spy novel, murder mystery, uh, nonfiction biographies, it's all there. It's all there. It's all it's all waiting. So that's uh, that's really exciting, and it replenishes the stock, I guess, for the libraries too. That's the biggest thing, and um, gives that even more variety for folks to come in all year long. Well, for two years because this is every two years. That's right. Well, we like to say it enhances your selection. So obviously, we have a, a good selection, mm -hmm. and we have to maintain that. And we have to bring in the best sellers and that sort of thing. But this helps make it that much more varied. And, and more copies available of the popular books so that more people can get their hands on them that much faster. It's, uh, you know, it's a great initiative. Like we said, uh, 2022 Adopt a Book campaign. Uh, it's here. It starts today. So uh, we're, we're just uh, we're, we're thrilled to be talking about it here once again. I know we have a lot of history uh, going back here. We used to go set up and do some remotes there during the day. We had a trivia contest back in the day. Those were always fun. We used to bribe a little bit to try to get some of the answers, though. But but that was okay because it was for a good cause, right? That's right. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't want to do that on a daily basis. But, yeah, we did uh, sort of bend the rules a bit to a help bit. raise more money to help more put more books on library shelves, So, right. which is always the key. Right. A little bit, a little bit. Don't, don't do that unless it's for a good cause. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, no, we had a lot of fun uh, for sure. And uh, any uh, other events or promotions coming up uh, during this Adopt-A-Book campaign to try to encourage people maybe to, to get out and, uh, and maybe adopt a book? Yes. Uh, and there might be some things that are developing as we go along. But right now, uh, there are some things the individual branches are doing. I know that uh, our Digby branch uh, has two gift baskets that they're selling tickets on. Um, 
and Claire, our, our branch in Matagan, is doing a bake sale. Uh, the Friends of the Library in Shelburne are going to be doing a silent auction a little later in uh, November. And then uh, Weymouth is also having a fundraising event. And also we encourage uh, schools, whomever, to go out and have their own little event, raise some money. It can be collecting bottles, whatever it could be. And all donations are welcome. And uh, every single penny that's raised through this is not put to any administrative costs. It all goes to buying books. And we'll take uh, everything from a dollar to... Uh, I don't know, $5,000 if people feel really generous. <laughs> of course, of course. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a donation actually at the library physically. You can collect money with your own fundraisers. So do you encourage people to, to maybe do that, maybe do a drive for the, for the Adopt-A-Book campaign? Oh, most definitely. We've had in the past uh, Boy Scout troops, uh, Girl Guide groups, uh, schools sort of challenge each other to see who can raise the most money. Uh, and then they they donate that to the Adopt-A-Book campaign, which is kind of fun. Also, we've had some big corporate donors in the past, so uh, we'll, we'll see what what happens. Right. I know that uh, I know that the uh, the meter gets f- full pretty quick on that poster. That's what we like to see. We like to see that keep going up to your uh, to your goal. And again, just one more time for us, run down what your goals are uh, this year for the Adopt-A-Book campaign. So the campaign runs from October first to November thirtieth. Uh, we hope to have a minimum of 750 books adopted, valued at at least $20,000. So we've obviously surpassed that in the past, but th- those are our, our initial goals. Those are the initial goals. So uh, around $25,000 or so, 750 books. 20000 20, 20000 sorry. Yep. Uh, 750 books. But, uh, hey, why not? Maybe if it's 25000 we hope it. You might get there, you know. You might get there. The community's pretty generous, aren't they? They are. They're very good, uh, very supportive of the library. I think they, they realize the importance, and it's also a popular because they get to – it's very tangible. They've got that book in their hand. They're seeing where their money is going instantly. Right. And also, they can reap the benefits right away by borrowing that book. <laughs> That's right. No, it, it's, uh, no it's, it's great to hear. There's no question um, that this is back again. And I know there are many, many programs that the library does, and I, I think we have a lot of those on our website as well that we talk about. But uh, every library has got their own their own uh, programs for uh, for the community, which is uh, which is great to see as well. So uh, Adopt-A-Book kind of incorporates into that. If you're there for a program, it's an opportunity for you to go in and look too. Uh, but offering those programs for the community coming out of the pandemic, how has that been? A, a good attendance as far as people coming back into the library and, and, and using the facility? Yes. it. I mean, things took a while to warm up, and it depends on the branch and the program. We've also moved to uh, virtual programming as well, and so now we also have hybrids. So, for example, a popular program in Yarmouth um, would be midweek break. So we offer people a Zoom link as well as going in person now. So that's quite different. Uh, It's not something we offered before the pandemic. There's some book clubs that do the same. So you can be in person or you can be there via Zoom. Um, But certainly interest is is growing and, and coming back. Uh, and uh, the clerks did a marvelous job uh, figuring out how to deliver programs during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Challenging, uh, (laughs) you know, for for everybody, for sure. Uh, But I'm I'm sure there was a lot of Zoom links happening uh, at that time, too. 
Oh, definitely there were. And we created these grab-and-go activities as well. So people would go uh, just into the entrance of the library, pull a bag off the shelf, and it contained a, a, a program with instructions on could be a craft, could be an experiment, all kinds of different things. And those proved extremely popular. And the library's been important, too, during the pandemic because of the rapid tests that have been available, too. I mean, you're seeing a lot of people coming in for those still, I assume. Oh, yes. We, we, we like many other organizations, uh, pitched in to, to help uh, during the pandemic. And so we provided our, our branches as a source of uh, rapid tests from Nova Scotia Health. Um, and yeah, they're still very popular. They're still available. Uh, you just walk in, you'll see the kits at the front and you just take one and walk out. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, I've used that myself. It's, uh, great. You know, that, that is right there in your, in your community and you just walk in and, and take a kit. So, uh, one kit per person too, by the way, (laughs) remember that too. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's great to hear that's happening too. So uh, while you're there, if you need a rapid test kit, why not stop in and uh, and see what the library has to offer uh, too with the 2022 uh, Adopt a Book campaign? Ian White, thank you for being here and and telling us more about this. And uh, it's always great to learn more about it every single well the, the two years that it happens. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered that maybe people should know about uh, Adopt a Book 2022? I, I think we've covered a lot of it, Kevin. The one thing I'd like to mention as well is that. Uh, we are a charitable organization, so any donation made towards Adopt-A-Book of $10 or more, you get a charitable tax receipt. Excellent. So that's uh, very important to know. And, uh, you know, all sorts of information, like you said, available on your website. So you can talk to the clerks as well. They very well qualified. They know what they're talking about, too. So, uh, yeah, uh, Adopt-A-Book 2022. It's here. It's on until November 30th. And uh, make sure you get out to your local library and support it. Yes. Thank you very much, Kevin. You covered that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ian. We appreciate you being here, and uh, best of luck with the campaign. I'm sure we'll get lots of updates. Well, I look forward to it, Kevin. All right. Ian White with the Western Counties Regional Libraries talking about Adopt-A-Book 2022. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Jacob Postlewaite. I'm joined this week by the Regional Emergency Management Coordinator for Yarmouth Remo, Shane Strong, and he's here to discuss the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona, how you can be prepared for the next major storm, and what you can do to be ready for the fall and winter months. Thanks for joining me, Shane. Hey, that's good to be here. So Hurricane Fiona blew through Nova Scotia last week, and you know we're seeing a lot of the devastating effect it had, mostly on the northeastern part of the province and you know up in Cape Breton. But as far as things went here, what conditions did we see during the hurricane? Uh, we saw mainly uh, a tropical force winds, which we're used to around here. Uh, our, uh, we had uh, power failures from uh, during the night from about 1,500 customers to 3,000. Not quite sure because it was the map was going uh, it'd be different every once in a while on there. So uh, we weren't sure of the number completely overnight, but in the morning it was about 1,500 people. So was there, you know, much work to be done in the area following the storm? Because we were seeing, you know, lots of power lines down, lots of trees down. Was, were we seeing a lot of that in this area? Uh, I took a drive out and around, and I didn't see much of it at all. I think uh, one of the other employees saw one tree down on his drives around. And uh, 
but yeah, there's a there was a lot of power failures, but I don't know if it was from trees or not because uh, I didn't see like like I said there wasn't much for for uh, stuff to be uh, blown over. My green bin didn't even blow over, so. <laughs> Yeah, we were we were pretty lucky down here. Uh, but we're, yeah. as far as those outages go, were you in contact with NS Power uh, to get those back? And what were you seeing from them? Because, you know, we've seen them stretch pretty thin and they've been bringing in a lot of people. So were you in contact with them about those outages? Well, the provincial EMO uh, office was in contact with them. Uh, we were following on the power outage map. Plus, we were getting uh, briefings with the rest of the province three, three times a day uh, virtually. So... We, from the start of everything, we were being briefed on the weather, and uh, uh, we're still getting briefings to this day, what's going on every day up in Cape Breton and northern Nova Scotia. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, things get a little bit better up there. There's still a couple people, a few people up there without power, so hopefully they get that soon and, and they get back, things start getting back to normal up there. But as far as things went here, we were we were pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, I didn't hear any, I didn't even get any calls for for people needing anything. Uh, I didn't get any requests or support from the community or from any first responders. So we made it pretty well here. Uh, I noticed uh, as you go up the shore more Barrington to Bridgewater Way was the more power outages. Uh, the first day it was spotty here and there. Quinnon was off for a while, but uh, I seen like mostly in the town and that it was like, little clumps of one or two houses there that were offline for a little bit. So we're in the middle of hurricane season now. Uh, we, of course, saw Hurricane Fiona last week, and Hurricane Ian went through Florida just uh, yesterday. Uh, so, of course, people are going to be nervous as we're we're getting into this season, and you never know what could be coming up next. So give us some tips on how to prepare for a major storm. So let us know what you need leading up to it. So, uh, first of all, you need to keep advice of what's going on with the weather. Weather can change rapidly. So, uh, keeping an eye on what's going on, uh, you know, we get a few days notice usually if a hurricane's coming up the coast. So, knowing that, uh, being able to have your fridge stocked for three days, uh, having uh, food in your cupboards, uh, power supplies, uh, you could uh, have. Uh, Oh, uh, batteries that uh, to charge your phones up, uh, generators keep them fueled up and tested. Uh, big note there, though, is not to uh, be running them in your house during during a power failure. Run them outside where it's well ventilated. Uh, but yeah, three days worth of food, water in your house. If you don't have a generator, uh, maybe looking at somewhere else to go with relatives for a few days. Uh, but, you know, have your flashlights, have your, uh, your whatever you need to survive for that 72 hours. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, and that's a good point on the generators there to remember to keep them, you know, because you'd think that, you know, during a storm, it's best to keep everything inside, but you definitely don't want to keep those inside. So that's a good thing to remember. Yeah, uh, I believe in PEI, they had uh, a bunch of people taken to hospital a couple of days ago just because of that. Uh, people running them where it wasn't well ventilated. Yeah, so definitely keep that in mind. So as the storm is going on, uh, what are the best ways to stay safe, you know, as it's actually in hitting the area? Well, 
staying indoors. Don't be traveling out on the on the highways and down the roads looking at uh, seeing what kind of damage is going on or, you know, taking that drive to the beach to see how big the waves are. Uh, that way you're putting yourself in harm's way. Uh, stay indoors, you know, uh, uh, relax and, uh, you know, just keep yourself in the shelter. You know, don't plan long trips do- during a during a hurricane and, uh, you know, uh, check in on your friends and neighbors by phone, uh, you know, just plan to stay in during that event. Uh, there's no need to be outside. You have uh, stuff flying in the air. You have uh, uh, flooding, which can be, flooding is just as bad as winds because they, they're so unpredictable. You could have a flash flood and all of a sudden, you know, your roads washed out and your cars in the middle of the river, you know. So, you know, it's staying inside, letting just the first responders out there look after what's going on. And even them, they they don't go out at the worst of it. They uh, they have to look after their safety too. So, Yeah, so that would be uh, the next point to make is what about the aftermath of a major storm? You know, we're seeing lots of damage after Fiona, lots of photos coming out from Cape Breton and, uh, you know, in Halifax and up in the northern part of the province. So what should people keep in mind uh, in the aftermath of a storm? The big thing is that, you know, if there's a lot of damage, it's going to take a while for people to restore power to get to people if they have an emergency uh, because you have trees down or across roads, which crews have to remove so they can get in to restore the power. Uh, first responders, you know, they might not be able to access certain routes or roads to get to uh, emergency scene. Uh, have patience that, and, uh, you know, stay off the roads. You know, have your fuel that you need in your cars before the, the event. That way you're not sitting in lineups of 100 people waiting for gas and you have uh, first responders vehicles and that that they can't get gas because there's there's three-hour lineups. So basically, same thing. Stay off the roads, be prepared. And, you know, you don't need to go out to Tim Hortons and uh, and sit in a lineup there for coffee right after the event. <laughs> Make your coffee at home and let those first responders, the power people in them out, out there do their work. Yeah, but it seems like the message is just to sit tight and uh, wait until you get the all clear. Right, right. You know, people want to go out and see the damage because it's so, you know, they've never seen it before. But that's where we get people getting themselves into trouble or they're blocking roads that first responders or the power core or whoever needs to get down and remove trees and that they just get in the way and uh it delays everything so looking ahead a little bit you know we're also getting into the fall months so give us a couple fall safety tips okay uh uh you know uh prepare for wind we get wind all the time. Uh, prepare, you know, if you if you have places that are flooding on your property, you know, make sure you you clean out your uh, your eaves, clean out your uh, any drainage areas around your house. You know, don't leave stuff outside that is going to blow into your neighbor's yard or in your yard and hurt somebody. And uh, just 
keep your generator full of gas, you know, uh, and be prepared. You know, you, any time of day, you, you could lose the power here for an unknown reason, and uh, you're out with power for for three days because they don't have the men uh, come down this way because they're working up in Cape Breton. So I just say be prepared, always prepared, and and know your surroundings if there's storms coming and such like that. And uh, any uh, looking far ahead, any preparation tips for winter? You know, it's never too early to prepare. <laughs> yeah, make sure your snowblower is working. Make sure you have your shovels. Uh, get your salt that you're going to need. Keep your, you know, uh, it, winter can be just as bad, too. We get a, a few feet of snow and nothing moves. And then uh, everybody's digging out for three or four days. and. Uh, they still, you know, our biggest thing is the power, you know, power uh, seems to go off uh, really quick and uh, where it's on uh, lines, lines come down quick and, you know, just being prepared and in the wintertime having, you know, warm clothing, uh, a plan at your residence and for your family to you know, if you have no heat for a couple of days, do you have a secondary secondary heating source like a wood stove or can you go to a friend's place or, you know, do you have your shovels? Do you have your gloves? Do you have your, uh, your parkas? You know, all that stuff. Yeah, that's all good stuff to keep in mind. Do you have any final thoughts about staying safe during major storm events? Stay inside. Let's let the first responders and the utilities do their work. Uh, don't uh, run out uh, trying to see what what uh, great thing you can see out there and, uh, you know, putting yourself at risk. Stay in your house. If you have power, watch your movies, watch your TV. Uh, just relax and let the, the actual people that are out there responding uh, cover everything off and let you know when it's good to come out. Well, Shane, thanks for joining me and sharing some weather safety tips. Okay, no problem. Anytime. Thank you. That was Shane Strong, Regional Emergency Management Coordinator for Yarmouth Remo. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Yesterday was National Truth and Reconciliation Day. We heard many stories here on Y95 about Indigenous peoples in our country. We're going to replay some of those for you now, in case you missed it. I'm William Prince, and here, as our first guest on A Day to Listen, please welcome elder, poet, human rights activist, educator, and artist, Dr. Duke Redbird. I had the esteemed pleasure of sharing the stage with Duke Redbird back at the 2016 Winnipeg Folk Festival, when a whole bunch of us came to honor the artists that were part of the Grammy-winning compilation Native North America Volume 1. His words hold incredible power, as you'll hear in this next reading. Oni, Sego, Tanse, bonjour and hello from Takaranto, Ontario, Canada. I bring greetings from the First Nations, the Métis and the Inuit peoples of Canada and all the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island to all our friends, neighbors, visitors, newcomers, and people who are here with us today. Welcome, one and all. My name is Dr. Duke Redbird, 
I'm an artist, a poet, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, an elder from the Saugeen Ojibwe First Nation. I wrote this poem that I believe contains a guiding light to take us forward into a sustainable future, and it is called Our Mother, the Earth. A great mystery created the universe and fashioned a blue geosphere, a radiant planet, our mother, the earth, the genesis of all we hold dear. With all the billions of stars in space, only Mother Earth could create the perfect human birthing place. A little sphere of cosmic dust was the spark of spirit given to us. And in all the years of her existence, with benevolence and generosity, she has provided for our subsistence and never needed or asked for our assistance. But now, the world is in distress due to unrestrained excess. Mother Nature reveals that true progress is possessed by every plant and tree that echoes every breath we breathe in a symbiotic symphony of connected sustainability. In the present tsunami of climate change, the earth may never ever be the same. With eight billion people and mouths to feed, the fires are burning, there's less air to breathe. We must conserve and preserve our rivers and forestry to ensure our own continuity. We must activate, contemplate, and regenerate the life and abundance of our birthplace. We don't choose where we are born. We are the outcome of a cosmic storm. Our journey is to search and find the natural order of the divine. Joy and enlightenment is the gift this wisdom brings. Adore and cherish all living things. Acknowledge the cradle of our precious birth and our relationship with our mother, the sacred earth. Thank you and megwetch. For a day to listen, there are many ways to listen and learn. Whether it be through social media or a podcast, film, or literature, Indigenous storytelling is everywhere. Here's author David Robertson, who's written 26 books now, including When We Were Alone, which won the 2017 Governor General's Literary Award. He also lives in Winnipeg and is a proud member of Cree Nation. Hello, my name is David A. Robertson. My home community is Norway House Cree Nation. It's where my father was born and raised. And his heritage and life back on the reserve is something, and on the land, is something that has really informed my work, especially over the last few years, just thinking about our connections to the land and, and the strength in our communities. I grew up in a city here in Winnipeg on Treaty 1 territory and was really disconnected from a lot of that when I was growing up. The books I was reading were books that didn't have any sort of really positive representation of Indigenous characters. And there weren't a lot of Indigenous writers that I knew of. When I began writing professionally, 
and that was about 13 years ago. That's something that really inspired me and also motivated me to have uh, stories that Indigenous kids could read where they were the heroes in them, where they could be empowered by positive representations. And I've seen, because I speak to classrooms across Canada and internationally, the profound impact it has had on kids to be able to see how empowering it has been for them to read and hear their stories being presented by people from their communities. Um, It's something that's very powerful. And I think for non-Indigenous kids too, it's very important to have these stories presented by people who have that lived experience because our stories have been told by other people for so long, especially within the last five years. You see Indigenous stories on the bestseller list. You see more and more Indigenous writers getting publishing contracts. And more importantly, you see more and more non-Indigenous Canadians reading our stories and learning from them. And when they do that, that's what is leading us to a better country. That's what's leading us to a better future. It's us healing, but it's us also allowing this country to heal through the truths that we have to share. Stories are the linchpin of reconciliation. You know, it's, it's not reconciliation, it's truth and reconciliation. And one comes before the other. You know, truth comes before healing. Truth often is delivered through the stories that we tell. And so in the last 10 years, what you've seen is this enormous growth, even though it's been a slow growth, of our stories being reclaimed by our storytellers, whether it is in literature or whether it is in music or whether it is in dance, whether it is in art, we are reclaiming our stories. And what that is doing is providing, gifting people with truth that was never there before. So when I started writing 13 years ago, I would say that most kids I spoke to would not be able to tell me much about the history of residential schools. Now, in 2022, if I asked most kids, and I speak to thousands and thousands of kids a year about residential schools, they can tell me about them. And that is a huge step forward. And that is made possible because we have enabled and empowered Indigenous storytellers. And that's what healing is. You know, it's listening, it's reading, it's learning from those stories. And it's encouraging others to share their truths because they can heal others and heal themselves. I always think about something my dad told me when I was a bit younger. And he used to tell me that he chose jobs, not for the money, but jobs that allowed him to help the most people. And what I have tried to do in my career is is take that to heart and whatever I do, do it so I can help people. And our next guest is Mimi Obonswin, a fellow musician. You'll hear her make a brilliant comparison between songs and seeds as she talks about her relationship to the land. Kwai kwai, bonjour, je m'appelle Mimi Obanswin. I'm from northeastern Ontario. I'm really proud to be here as an Abenaki woman from Odanak and a francophone from Sudbury. I'm a root singer-songwriter and composer, and I love to make art, to make music, and to grow food. One way that I've been reclaiming my roots and, and returning home when my culture is through music and through gardening and growing food and foraging. So plants and music to me are really similar, the way they kind of pull on that creative muscle or how they pull on your spirituality and your, and your roots. 
as a person. We grew up outside of our community. My community is called Odanak and it's in uh, the province of Quebec. But I grew up in northeastern Ontario. And the more that I learned about what it means to be Abenaki and rediscovering my roots and rediscovering my family, my community, the more that it explains the things that I have inside of me. My whole life I grew up playing in the bush by myself, spending a lot of time on the land. Uh, we always had like animals and big gardens and, and talking to trees and all these things. And I always kept that with me, even when I lived in Toronto. So when I started learning about plant medicine and, and our traditional foods and all these things, you know, it just kind of validated that thing inside me. And it's the same with music. My parents told me that I sang before I could talk and I always played music. I always drew inspiration from, you know, my roots. So to kind of bridge the gap between those two things, just like I bridged the gap between the two identities that make me who I am, I feel empowered and I feel connected. For me, music is really healing. And through the difficult times in life, music is always there. So you always have a friend in music. You always have someone you can trust. And it's a really healthy path to express yourself. And I always think that there's a lot of different ways uh, we can use music, whether it's just for ourselves, or it's to share, or it's to perform. There's so many different levels. When I work with youth, I really focus on the empowerment aspect because, you know, I can empathize with what it feels like to be young and to, to feel like you're stuck in a box and to have a little bit of an outlet and permission to express yourself through music, I think is something that our youth really need. There is so much healing that needs to be done in our communities all over and um, the youth are, are there and they're open. So I personally learn a lot from doing songwriting with youth and it's really amazing the stories they have to tell. So I just love it. Reconnecting with the land for me just kind of happened. It's not something I planned to do, but it's something that just happened. And I think those are the things that we need to pay attention to. So I started growing a lot of our food and you know, working with my partner in music, but also in the, in the garden. It's a really healthy way to decolonize uh, your world because you're producing this food, you have a relationship with this food, and it's something we need to nourish our spirits and our bodies and everything. And it's just really, really powerful. So to be able to nurture these young plants and to be able to harvest them at this time of the year, um, and, and it also changes your relationship with water. It changes your relationship with animals. It changes your relationship with soil. So we're always kind of building the soil and listening to what the land needs and how we can work with the land instead of against it. And I think there's something really powerful there. So for me, 